One of the things that I appreciate most about Friendship Church is its commitment to be a part of what God is doing around the world. And every time you give towards Friendship Church, a chunk of what you give goes to support missionaries who are our partners in doing God's work around the world. And we're so thankful for them. And I want to let you know that today on Mission Sunday, we have some of those people with us. And I'm going to read their names right now. A number of them are downstairs, so they will not stand when I call their names. But if you're here and I read your name, would you please stand uh, so that we can recognize you and we'd love to be praying for you as well. Uh, Nate Johnson is downstairs leading one of our breakout sessions, but he is here today with World Venture in Vienna, Austria. Mark and Karen Gold also downstairs leading a breakout session with Global Link Partners. Greg and Corey Strzok from Josiah Venture in the Czech Republic are here today, and they're actually upstairs giving the kids' message in our children's programming today. Stacy and Jen Johnson with Child Evangelism Fellowship are here today. Bajoy and Roxanne Manan with Nepali Ministries International are here today as well. Jesse and Emily Arujo are downstairs, but they are with Hope for Venezuela and are part of our church family. Mark Meyer with Campus Faith Clubs is here today. Eric and Julian Wilgen are here today. Uh, John and Christy Shrewberry of Ministry of Reconciliation are here. Sorry, Eric and, Ju uh, Eric and Julianne, I didn't say you're from Af uh, with African Inland Mission uh, in, Nam in Namibia. And Pat and Jean O'Halloran for the Gideons are here as well. We also have some of our people who lead our trips to Haiti and Czech Republic who are in here this morning. Kyle Whitmore is with us who leads our trips to Haiti, as well as Craig and Marianne Svoboda uh, are here and help lead our trips to Czech Republic. And so uh, there's one more that I'm going to announce later, and that's Dirk and Lorna Johnson, and Dirk is our keynote speaker here today as well. But if you're here and I said your name, would you please uh, stand with me at this time? That would be great. And we want to spend a moment praying for those that are with us. Father, we're so grateful for your love and your goodness. We're thankful for the way that you call people into your ministry. We ask for your blessing upon all of those whose names I just read and the other missionaries who are a part of the Friendship Church family. Be working and moving in their hearts and lives, continuing to draw them closer and closer into relationship with you. Lord, continue to give them greater and greater revelation of who you are, your greatness and your goodness. And we pray that you'd bless their ministries with more and more people who become worshipers and followers of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, friends. Our, our keynote speaker today is Dirk Johnson. Now, Dirk's wife, Lorna, is actually speaking over in Shakopee. If you'd rather hear Lorna, if you get in your car now, you might be able to make it before she's done with her introduction. But we get Dirk, and we're happy about that. And we're going to tell Lorna, you did a great job. Absolutely. No matter how it goes, I heard you say in the first service, we're going to tell Lorna you did an absolutely terrific job. Dirk and Lorna are trainers with Cruise Impact Leadership Institute. They train young Christian leaders on college campuses in the U.S. as well as leaders around the world. And we're so thankful to have Dirk with us here today sharing a message and a challenge with us. So Dirk, take it away. Uh, yes, yes. Well, it is so good to be with you. Uh, this morning, and yes, I'm sorry you're here not with my wife, 
who not only looks a lot better than me, but she actually is a better communicator than I am. So uh, you're going to have to just bear with it, okay? Just kind of hang in there. All right. So Jesus sees the suffering that you go through. So it's a, no, it's, it's a, it is a joy. It's a privilege to be with the Friendship Church family. Um, Lorna and I, the church here has supported us for many, many years. And so it's always fun. We now live in Orlando, Florida, but uh, we lived here in the Twin Cities for 15 years and uh, work with Crew, of course, what used to be known as Campus Crusade for Christ. Here's my tribe. Uh, we've got, this is a picture of this past summer up in Arden Hills where our daughter and son-in-law live up there near where Northwestern uh, College is. And uh, so this is how it breaks down in our family. And so, well, believe it or not, Lorna and I have been on staff with Crew for 43 years. Actually, Lorna is almost 44 at this point. And so 43 years with Crew, we've been married for 41 of those years and three kids, seven grandchildren. And uh, it's, it, you know, it's been a joy to be a part of it. 30 years at Friendship here. So 30 years, you guys have supported our work, our ministry, uh, we just go way back. We know some of the founding members of this church, uh, and whenever you know they're no longer here uh, with us in person, they're in with the Lord in heaven. But when I come back to friendship, even though a lot of things have been built and changed, and it looks nicer and fresher, and all those types of things, and the Shakopee campus was added a few years ago, and I tell you what, you know what comes to my mind when I walk back on this campus are the individuals that I saw their faith, I saw their walk with God, I saw their love for Jesus, that's what stayed with me. I may not even be able to remember all their names, but I saw their behavior, their example, and the basis of friendship, the foundation of this church is built upon men and women of God who said yes to Jesus and said no to other temptations and other distractions in the world, be all that they could be that Jesus would want them to be. And that's what comes to my mind when I, and that's the reality is, that, you know, people are going to, they're, they're not going to remember even always everything about you, but they're going to they're gonna remember what you, in your interactions, what you felt, what, how, you're inter, how you experienced it. That's all going to be a part of your experience. So we, um, you know, our three kids, uh, like I said, we have seven grandkids, we've got three daughters, um, and so we've added sons, you know, so we had them get married, so two son-in-laws. We've even added a couple dogs now to our family, so it's uh, not, that's not my son-in-law's. Okay, a couple other dogs. So, but uh, <clears throat> no, so it's 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 a privilege uh, to be a part of this. You know, um, I don't know about you. Have you ever uh, tried to? Uh, you know, you kind of thought you knew the whole story. Uh, you, have you ever watched a movie? You go, you know, you kind of go in the movie. You can you can kind of look at a. You kind of watch a line or so, and or you've seen maybe the previews, like, oh, I, I, I know what that, that movie's like. I've I got to understand. I, I, I figured it out. But later on, as you learn more, you discover that you came to an entirely wrong conclusion. It's kind of like my friend Brian. Brian is actually, he lives here in the Twin Cities. He's in ministry. But a number of years ago, he was the first responder on an accident of a, a motorcycle. I mean, a horrendous accident. The guy slid all across. Young guy ripped up his skin bloodied up everything in his face. He was, he was in terrible shape. And Brian was the very first person there. He was there with him, and he, he was pretty convinced he was not going to make it. And so uh, he even actually prayed with this man. The man shared his, his name. He shared a little bit about himself, and then the paramedics got there. But Brian was pretty convinced he was not going to make it. 
for the next week, he could not get him out of his mind. Every time he went to bed, every time he tried to get to sleep, it was like the face of this guy was right there. He kept thinking about him. And so pretty soon, he was kind of wondering. He was wondering, okay, what's, you know, what, what's going on? So he decided to go to the obituary column, and there the obituary column, he sees the name of the guy that he was with there in the accident. And the funeral was the next day. So he decides to go to the funeral. And there he has a funeral, and after it's over, he comes up to the mother. And he shares, you know what, I was there with your son in the very last moments of his life. We even prayed together, and she just started crying. Like, oh, you know, it's very touching. But as the tears subsided, then she says to Brian, she says, now, why were you in Great Britain? <laughs> and Brian goes, Britain? Yeah, the accident happened in Great Britain. And then it hit Brian. This is the wrong person. This person wasn't the one that I was with. This isn't the person who died. He thought he knew the full story. He got it wrong. <laughs> it's, can you imagine being in that situation? <clears throat> well, we could do that too. I teach at Palm Beach Atlantic. It's a Christian university in Florida. I also teach with our crew ministries, um, new missionaries. We teach understanding the scriptures. How do we apply the scriptures? How do we teach the scriptures? How do we live by the scriptures? And one of the things over my time there I've begun to discover, because we have, we have people that love Jesus, they, they want to grow in their faith, they want to get to become more and more like him, but I, we, I discover that they know these different passages, they know bits and pieces of the scriptures. They have different passages that they could tell you what it is, and they're right, usually, they're, they're pretty accurate to what is being said, but it's just like coming into a movie in the middle of a movie and watching 30 seconds and think you got it all figured out. And then you look at their life and they, they, they are constantly struggling in terms of where's my meaning, where's my purpose, what does God have for me? And the reality is that you and I do not live as isolated beings. We are part of a grander scheme of what God has designed. And he has actually written for us this, what I would call a divine drama. He, doesn't, he wants to, us to see the big picture of what he's got for us. Because if we look at the scriptures just from our own little windows, if we just look at how this little verse in isolation, this little verse is about me to make me happy. Or how do, I, how do I have peace in my life? Or let me look at this verse, how to give me peace. Or let me have, this verse here is, is for something else about me. And it's like, no, you've got it wrong. You're looking, you think you have the whole story, but you don't. Because you're looking at your individual window. You've got to step back and look at the whole context. Look at the whole big picture that's there. This drama, it's amazing, six acts. 66 books of the Bible written by 29 writers and one author, the Holy Spirit. Though some of those writers didn't even know each other, didn't even know what they had, others had written, and yet we had this seamless book that talks about this divine drama that God has called you and I into relationship with him. And the significance of that gives you and I meaning and purpose, but it can never be discovered in isolation, in bits and pieces. And so we have to see what that big picture is because it follows a lot. Every book, every event, every character, every command, every prophecy, every poem has to be understood in light of this one storyline. And it's what Jesus said when he came on the scene. He says, uh, whoops, 
behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Oh, okay. Let me move this back. Okay, there you go. He says, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, why did Jesus say that? Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Why? Because the king is at hand. I am right here. I, I, and so everything, if you look at everything that Jesus talks about, all of his parables relates to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like, when he does the Sermon on the Mount, what is he talking about? The values that are true for those who are part of the kingdom of God. And if, when we talk about kingdom there, in order to have a kingdom, you have to have two things. You have to have a king, and then you have to have subjects that submit and surrender themselves to a king. And Jesus comes on the scene, and he identifies himself as ultimately the Messiah, the king. And I'm here and for my subjects, for those that are going to submit and surrender to me. This is what it's like to be in the kingdom. Seek first his kingdom before you seek after all those other things. So we're seeking his kingdom. What are his purposes? This divine drama, I'm going to walk through it very quickly. Six acts. First two chapters of Genesis in Act 1. The king comes and he, he sets up his kingdom. The kingdom is here. He arranges it immediately, but then act two, what? Sin enters. Rebellion is in the kingdom. And Adam and Eve are asked for their own sake, really out of the mercy of God, ask them to go because they could have eaten of the wrong tree and thus for permanently be separated from God. So really, it was an act of grace and mercy that God demonstrated to Adam and Eve. And then we see in Act 3, beginning in Genesis 12, the first scene of Act 3, God restores, he brings back, he initiates a new relationship with new people. And it's called in Genesis 12, the Abrahamic covenant. God comes and enters in. He tells Abraham to look at the stars in the sky, as many stars as you see, so many more will, your, will be the people of, your, of the nation. They will, that's who, they're going to be like that. And he says this as part of the covenant. I will be your God, you will be my people, and you will be a blessing to all the nations. That's the Abrahamic covenant. We see that play out in Acts, uh, Acts 1 through the first five books of the Pentateuch, the Torah, first five books of the Old Testament. And then we see scene two takes place. God then provides a place for his people. Joshua, they build the promised land. They get into that. And then we see scene three. God's people have now formed, they have a place, but they say, we don't want you as God. I mean, we, hey, we want to stay religious, we want to worship you, we want to acknowledge you, we want to sing songs to you, we want to show up and do services with you, but we don't want you to be king over us. And so what do they, they do? They, so God relents. He says, okay, if that's what you want, that's what you're going to get. And so he has Samuel and he anoints King Saul. But King Saul's not a very good king. And he falls apart, they remove him. They anoint King David. Now, King David's a lot better than King Saul, but he still is a failure as a king. And so they, David goes and he anoints uh, Solomon. Solomon becomes king. A lot of positive things about Solomon, but he's a failure as a king. And his son Rehoboam steps in and is an utter failure. Everything falls apart. And what we see, Scripture makes very clear as we go into the interlude, go into the intermission of this grand drama, this play that God has laid out before us in the Scriptures, is that the kingdom of, of Saul, the kingdom of David, the kingdom of Solomon cannot save us, cannot give us life, cannot give us meaning or purpose, just like the kingdom of Dirk cannot do it. 
or the kingdom of Teresa, or the kingdom of Matt, or the kingdom of Joyce. It was never meant for you and I to find our sense of value and worth within our own kingdom. And so that's why the prophet said that God has to send the Messiah. He has to send the king himself. And so we see, as we go into Acts 4, that there the king shows up, and in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the king goes to the cross for you and I. He raises from the dead, and we're going to be celebrating that right here in a couple weeks. Isn't that going to be amazing? But do you realize that's not the whole story? He did not just die so you and I could be saved and go live a happy life. That's not what the story says. That's not what's true of the kingdom. You have to look at the whole thing. You have to understand how it all fits together. You can't watch a 30-second snippet and think you got it figured out. And so we, we, have the, we have Act 4. Redemption is accomplished. And then the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, I have to go. I have to go to the Father in order for the Holy Spirit to come. Because you can't do it in your own strength. You can't do it in your own power. But you need to have me in the form of the Holy Spirit inside of each one of you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you. He lives in you. He resides in you. In order for you to live out the kingdom of God where God is king and you are his subject, you are submitted and surrendered to him, it's got to be the Holy Spirit. And his presence is in you. And we see in scene one of Act 5 where the, the, the news of the kingdom is to be spread. And we see that from Jerusalem to Rome in scene one. But in scene two, in scene two, Jesus, right as he's getting ready to ascend into heaven, it's not just his disciples. It's all those who are the followers that are surrounded him. There he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go, to, go make disciples of all nations. That word nations is the word ethne, people groups. Now notice, connect it back. Genesis 12, what's the, what is the uh, Abrahamic covenant? You, I will be your God, I will be your king, you will be my people, you will be my subjects, and you will be a blessing to all the nations. What does Jesus say? Hey, I'm leaving, but I, and then he says, I am with you always into the age. I will always be your king. You will always be submitted to me to teach and to obey my commandments, but you are to go to all the nations. You are to be a blessing to all the nations. That's the kingdom of God. And when I'm living out the kingdom of Dirk, it doesn't look anything closely resembling to the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, that's what I've called you into life for. Act 6, then we see the final consummation of the age. It's what's to come. Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, Act 4, and scene 1 of Act 5 are all past tense. But today, we are in the midst of Act 5, scene 2. And that there is a reason why God has called you. If you are a follower of Christ, there's a reason why he's called you into a relationship. He wants you to be a part of the kingdom of God so that you can be a blessing to the nations, blessing to those you come in contact with. You're not there just to, I want you saved so that you can just get to heaven. No. That's not what God's interested in at all. The kingdom of God, every person is an image bearer of, of, of God himself. And his people in the kingdom of God has called you and I to submit to him and to be a blessing to others. And so, therefore, we've been commissioned. That's why when Jesus is talked to and asked, what is the greatest commandment? What does he say? He doesn't say just, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. But what does he say? Go to church then. No, no put, put a Christian bumper sticker on your car. Honk if you love Jesus. You know, go to Bible school. Go, no, what does he say? Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Love your neighbor. Be a blessing to the nations. Be a blessing to your neighbor. I, it, he, he doesn't say, if your neighbor thinks like you do, if your neighbor dresses like you do, if your neighbor votes like you do, if your neighbor doesn't have any offensive signs on their windows or on their car, then bless them. That's not what he says. That's not what it means to be in the kingdom of God. And so we, Jesus lays this out. The realities of what does it mean to be our neighbor? And we're going to talk about the rest of our time we got this morning. What does it mean to be loving our neighbor as ourself? Our neighbors here aren't just those that live around us. It certainly would be those. But not only those that live around us, but those that we come to work with, our coworkers, those that we go to school with, those that we are around, we interact with, those we take our, you know, we, we go to the volleyball or we go to, go to soccer practice and uh, those parents, you know, that that that. Those parents that they think their kid is better than your kid and they're trying to push them ahead of you, that's your neighbor. You know, that, that, that's the, the reality that's out there. And that's what God is calling us to be involved. Let me introduce you to uh, Lewis. Lewis was, uh, back a number of years ago, we had water damage in our house when we were down in Florida and uh, just, you know, messed everything up and we had a mold restoration company come in. They had to take the flooring out. There's supposed to be a lot of mold there. I don't know if there ever was really, but they got it from the insurance company. And so they were there for a number, almost a whole week. And I wasn't there a whole lot, but I, the last day I was there in the afternoon. And uh, Lewis, it was kind of, they're kind of closing up. They're getting walk away, and I was doing some work. And, uh, but Lewis comes up to me. Here's his picture. Lewis comes up to me and he says, uh, Mr. Johnson, do you mind if I ask you a question? I mean, I can see, I see the pictures on the wall of your family. You just have such a beautiful family. And, and, and are you a minister? Because, you know, he didn't say that, but there's a lot of religious artifacts everywhere, right? There's a lot of religious stuff. Are you a minister? And I said, uh, well, yeah, kind of. Uh, sure. He said, well, I got a question for you. He said, um, I'm, a, I'm engaged to get married. It, you know what? Is it? Is it kind of normal to be a little fearful? You know, a little like, I don't know if this is the right person for me to get married to. And I was busy, okay? I mean, I had something I was working on. And it's like my initial thought was, uh, yeah, Lewis, that, that, that happens. You know, we get a little cold feet. We don't want to do it. And that's, what I, what I thought, that's what I wanted to say. But I said, well, well, tell me a little bit more, just, you know, a few minutes. And he shared a little bit more. And I gave him my phone number. He said, Lewis, call me back later tonight. I'll have more time to talk. But let's talk about it. He called me back. And I, his fiance was coming down the next week. And, and I said, would you like to have my wife and I meet with, we didn't even know this guy. Would you like her to come on over to our house? We could just have, you know, have some coffee or whatever and talk a little bit. He said, yeah, that would be really good. So sure enough, she comes there. And I tell you what, it was obvious to Lauren and I immediately, they should not be married. This was not the right couple. He had good reason to be a little nervous. <laughs> I mean, it was... And so, uh, so then for the next few weeks, I kind of helped Lewis break off that marriage or potential marriage, that relationship. And Lewis then comes to me and he says, you know, Dirk, would you be willing to disciple me? And for the next eight months, almost every week, I would meet with Lewis and we would go over a whole variety of different things. And in that time, Lewis decides to go to Bible college and he goes to a Bible college in Oklahoma. And there, as you can tell by the picture, meets LaToya. He had never mentioned anything about Lorna and myself to LaToya 
after, until after they were engaged, and he happened to be sharing a little bit more about his story he mentioned by interacting with Dirk and Lorna, and Latoya just like her mouth dropped. She went, Dirk and Lorna? I know Dirk and Lorna. They spoke at a conference in Chicago. They're partly the reason why I'm here at this Bible college in Oklahoma. And here we are. There they can, connected. So let me ask you this. What might have happened if when Lewis asked me the question, is it natural to have cold feet? I said, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's normal. Maybe you should go pray about it. Go talk to your pastor about it. What if I just passed him off? Just not gave him the attention <laughs> that he needed, that he deserved. Jesus, in the very beginning of his ministry, is with his disciples. Very first trip. We see it in John chapter 4. They go up to the northern regions of Galilee, which they were from. Many of them were from. They're familiar with that part. They're going to be doing a ministry. Normally, as a Jewish, you would go around Samaria. You didn't want to go to the Samaritans. I mean, they're bad. I mean, it's like going through Wisconsin. I mean, it's just, you do not want to... Do not want to go. I'm just kidding. I know people are here from Wisconsin. So you, you do not want to go through there. But what did Jesus do? He takes them through. He takes them through Samaria. In fact, he stops at what historically is Jacob's well, was where Jacob had built the well, just outside of Samaria. And he, and he says there, and he sends them on. He says to get food. You know, I'm hungry. I need food. So they're, they're all, like all of them. I don't know why, but they all have to go in. Okay, they're all going in to go get food. And there's Jesus hanging out at the well by himself. But you know what? On the way, what we, you know, many of you know that story. The woman from Samaria comes out to the well. What, she would have had to bypass them. She would have had to walk right by them. Did they talk to her about the kingdom of God? No. Why? Why wouldn't they? Well, first off, she's a woman. You know, culturally, you know, males wouldn't be interacting with women, at least publicly. And Secondly, she's Samaritan. We definitely don't have anything to do with Samaritans. Oh, my gosh. No, they're beneath us. They don't think like we do. They don't act like we do. We don't want to have anything to do with the Samaritans. But I tell you what, even a, a, there's a third reality going on here. They have a task. They're busy. Got a job. Hey, we're gonna, I'm going to, the, going to the grocery store. I'm picking up some food. We gotta, we, I got you know, my to-do list to do. It's like we're not going to stop, especially for a Samaritan, especially for a woman. Uh, Last one I'd ever even think about doing that with. They don't interact with her. Now when they come back, the text tells us it's like their mouths drop and they see what Jesus is doing. He's talking to this woman, this Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus speaks to the disciples immediately. The text makes it very clear. It is like, it, here's what I envision. It's like he's taking his eyes off of this woman, and he, it's like he's turning it to them, and it's like these piercing eyes. He's looking right into the heart and the soul of their life. He says, do you not yet say, there are four months, and then comes the harvest? In other words, you're really good at knowing when it's time for the harvest fields to be ready. You're good at knowing what the, what the temperatures are, the angles of the sun, when it's going to be spring, when it's going to be summer, when it's going to be fall. You're really good at understanding all the na natural nature things around you. But he says, open your eyes that the fields are white for harvest. In fact, the fact that it's white means it's overripe. It's been sitting there for a long time. It's overripe. It's sitting, waiting to be harvested. And you're not opening your eyes. You walk right by. It's just like our neighbors. We can walk right by our neighbors. We can have, 
whoops, sorry. <laughs> we, we can have this, this barrier between them. That's why Jesus, Jesus says to the, his disciples, this is uh, on that last week before he's about to go to the cross. He says to them, how, how are they going to know that you're my disciples? Because your theology is right. How are they going to know that you are my disciples? Because you're wearing the right clothes. You're not engaged in wrong stuff. How are they going to know that you are my disciples? That's not what Jesus says. They're going to know you are my disciples because you love one another. In other words, how do you, you love the nations. You love those you come interacting with. They experience that sense of love. What does that look like? I want to mention six things here fairly quickly. Let me bring my watch out. You might be wondering, what does it mean when a pastor looks at his watch? Absolutely nothing. Doesn't mean anything at all. Six things. Here's number one. If we're talking about loving our neighbors, if we're talking about loving those that are around us, if we're talking about loving the nations, it means, number one, we learn their name. Now, this is pretty basic, okay? This is pretty simple. But do you really care about anybody that you actually don't even know their name? Is there anybody in your circle of influence and friendship that you actually really care about and you haven't even taken the time to know their name? I would dare say not. We have in our Bible study, we just have done a Bible study, uh, what's called the Art of Neighboring. It's a great study uh, at our church that I'm a part of. And one of the exercises at the beginning is to have everybody write down what the names of their neighbors are that are around them, to find out how many people actually really know who their neighbors are. The one that had the most in our, our group was, was uh, had six. They knew six of their neighbors. I, on the other hand, you know, I knew 11, so I was much better than they were. But that's because my wife is an extrovert and knows everybody, okay? And so it's only because of my wife that I know everybody. She sets up, she puts her uh, exercise bike out in the front of the garage, okay? And there she is. And so when she exercises in the morning, people walk by, their dogs or whatever, she weighs at them, it starts conversations, talks, you know. She goes regularly to neighborhood associations. She gets engaged. She knows people. She's involved with them. And so there, there's this sense of learning. And so what I have to do is go write down the names. Okay, who is that? the guy on the two houses down? What's his name? i got to remember, write down their names so I don't forget. So I keep a list of those types of things. Learn their names because that shows value. It shows worth when you're interacting with them. Secondly, a um, little at a time. Your, your job here, you are to, God has called you in, in, in the Abrahamic Covenant God has called you in the kingdom of God not to go witness to every person that moves. That's not the goal, okay? The goal is love. In fact, oftentimes, how we do witnessing is the worst thing we could ever do to loving our neighbors. We just like, let, let me throw the Bible at you. Let me talk about how, point my finger at you. Let me tell you how far away you are from the kingdom. And we don't even realize how far we are away from the kingdom. You, yeah, like, the kingdom of God means you love, you care. That's why God's called us into a relationship with him to be able to blessing to others that are around us. And when we're not a blessing, when we're pointing our finger, you ever wonder why it seemed like the sinners and tax gatherers in the New Testament wanted to hang out with Jesus, but they didn't want to be around the Pharisees 
Did you ever wonder about that? Did you ever think about that? What's going on there? Because they knew the moment they walked in the presence of a Pharisee, they would get their fingers shaked at. They would be looked down upon. They would be judged. And we have example after example after example in the New Testament of Jesus. Being, even when he went into the Pharisees' homes. And Jesus just laid it out to him in terms of you, you're looking totally wrong. You're not seeing what the kingdom really is. It becomes our own kingdom. It becomes how we choose to be God. So we, little at a time, I just have a few minutes to talk, hey, how's it going? What's going on in your life? What's, what's taking place? I got a neighbor that lives to our left, been through three marriages. He's in a fourth relationship. He's, yeah, he's not going to get married. Like he's, like, I'm not going to fail four times in a row, at least officially, right? So I'm not going to do it. I understand that. I could definitely. Do I say, Steve, you should get married. <laughs> what is that? What's my goal there? No, I want to love Steve. I want him to know what does it mean to be in relationship with, with God and with Christ. And he will make the difference. I've told this story many times. I was at Michigan State University. I walked into the room with this football player. It was a follow-up to share gospel with him. And I, there on his wall, all across his wall, the, all these pictures of uh, porno, porno pictures everywhere, all over the place. <clears throat> and so, I, you know, as I... So, you know, I just try to make sure I kept my eyes down. Okay, you know, here, I'm sharing a little bit about our relationship with God. Would you like to know that? And he actually said, yeah, I, I would be interested. I said, really? Okay. Um, so I kind of went through, shared, shared about a relationship with Christ. And, and he said to me, he said, well, you know what? I'm already a believer. I, I, I'm already a Christian. And, I, you know, I'm thinking, okay, really? I mean, I'm looking at these walls. You can't be right. What are you doing here? So... So then I said, well, if you're a Christian, you probably want to begin to grow in your faith, right? So you probably want to begin to understand what is it, you know, what more does God have? Would you be interested in that? He said, yeah. I said, cool. So I come back next week. Everything's up on his walls. And so we begin going through. We get to this, the, the next week, the second week. I, I go through what we call the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I talk about submission, surrendering to Christ. And, uh, and he actually asks God to fill him with his spirit. He actually submits, surrenders there in the room. You know, all along in each of the times that we visited, I just, I, I thought about saying something like, well, hey, David, I mean, really, it probably isn't in your best interest if you're really wanting to do serious business with Jesus. It isn't in your best interest to leave all these pictures up. But God just, if it's a check in my spirit, God was saying, uh-uh, I don't want you to say that. That's, that, that's, that's not about what I've called you here for. We talked, we shared that it was my third visit with him. He came to, he, he asked God to fill him with the Spirit. And I could tell he was genuine. He was desiring to please God. I went away, I came back the next week, and I walked in the room. The entire, all pictures were down from the walls. Now, I'll tell you what. The very first meeting with Dave, because he was sensitive to God, if I told him to take the pictures down from the wall, he would have probably done it. But he would have done it because I told him to do it. But God said, I want to have Dave see what the Spirit does. It's the Holy Spirit that brings about change. It's not you and I. We have so many, some of us probably have so many people we're trying to change right now. No wonder we're frustrated with life, frustrated with ministry. God says, I'm the one in the changing business. You are not. My kingdom is that I'm king. You submit and surrender to me, and you be a blessing 
You'll be a blessing to your children. You'll be a blessing to your spouse. You'll be a blessing to those that are around you. That's what I've called you to do. Be faithful to what I've called you to do. I'll bring about the right changes. That doesn't mean we don't invite them to church at different times or different situations or God opens up opportunities that we'll share about Jesus with them in a relationship with Christ, certainly. But we do it as God's Spirit opens the door and leads. And there's a sense that they know I'm not just sharing with you some little method, some little message, but I care about you. Whether you ever come to this church, whether you ever say to Jesus, I care about you, because that's what it means to live in the kingdom of God, to be a blessing to all of his image bearers. And so we listen to the needs and the hardships. We listen for what are those things. We look for similarities. My neighbor across the street, Barbara, because my wife does work with homelessness as well as at-risk athletes. She found out in interactions that Barbara has experienced dealing with uh, herself being homeless at one point in her life. So Barbara now is engaged to become part with Lorna and various homeless outreaches that they do. And she's come to church with us and a variety of things. But look for similarities. Look for things that you can do with each other. Also, uh, listen for hurts. I went to a bank one time. And I tell you what, when you begin to realize when you get up in the morning and say, Lord, I'm on mission today. The mission is to be a blessing to those that you put in my path, to be a blessing to those that I come in contact with. All of a sudden, life begins to be more exciting. All of it, because I'll tell you what, God's going to give you inconvenient opportunities throughout the day. I remember I walked into the bank all I wanted to do was like a 20-minute transaction, just show them my driver's license, get their proper information down, fill out the form. This ended up being a bank manager, wasn't one of the other ones. And I hand her my, my driver's license, and she looks at it, and she goes, this can't be right. You can't be this old. Have you had plastic surgery? You know, it's like, what? I mean, <laughs> and then she begins to unfold like, Thousands of dollars that she spent on plastic surgery and liposuction and all these things. And I'm going, oh, my gosh, this is like more information than I need. And so we're, we're to, you know, and then we'll find out that she's divorced. She's got several kids, and she's in a relationship with a guy that she's trying to please, so she's making all these changes externally because she wants, and I tell you what, she wants a father for her children. Is that wrong? No. I, I get it. I understand it. But, you know, I said, you know, we talk, I use her name, try to find out people's names right away, try to use her name when I talk back with them. I said, you know, here's one of the things I learned. I learned that when I try to make all my externals right, that I get it wrong. Eventually I get it wrong. It doesn't work. Because I found, I said, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ. You know, I'm a Christian. And I found that when I get what's on the inside right, that it, the outside begins to take care of itself. And if this is the right guy for you, you know, be yourself. Be all the best person that you can be. And if you are, if he doesn't like you because you're a little bit overweight or you're a little bit of this, then maybe he's not the right guy for you. And we talked, and, and at the end of the time, I, I mean, I didn't ask her if she was a well, Actually, she may have volunteered that she was a believer, but I didn't ask her that. That wasn't my goal. That wasn't my purpose. And, but, but I could tell she was hurting. She was struggling, and she's making six-figure salary. And I said, you know what? I'm a follower of Christ, and I know there's power in prayer. Do you mind if I pray for you? She said, would you? And so right there, I would pray. Just took a moment, prayed. Two days later, received a handwritten note from her. She says, that made a huge difference in my life, your conversation. Thank you so much. 
we pray for people. I had a guy walk in, changing our hot water heater. He, uh, I, I, don't, I, I don't always do this with everybody. It sounds like, because I'm using these examples, I do this with everybody. Okay, no, I don't. <laughs> but uh, I, just felt, I just felt like the Lord was saying, this older guy, finishing up the hot water, and he's getting ready, you know, you sign the paper for whatever you pay for it. And, and I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I actually believe prayer works. Is there anything in your life that you would have prayer for or need prayer for? I would be willing to pray. Now, I was thinking I'd pray for it later, right? You know, I'll pray after you leave. I'll pray for you. And he says, he says you know what? I, that's funny you should ask that. He says, in three days, I go in for heart surgery. I go, Really? I said, would you like me to pray for you right now? He says, I would really like you to. So I actually even laid hands on him. I don't even know if he was a Christian. I didn't ask him. I wasn't, what different? I don't even know, if, did he make it through our surgery? I don't know, because I wasn't going to interact with him. But I tell you what, he, I could tell in the interaction, it meant something. It was significant. That's what the kingdom of God is. It's extending yourself beyond yourself to care for his image bearers. Whether they believe or think the way we want, whether they look like we, th- we want them to do, we love them because God has loved us. Believe me, if I were to know the life of everything about every one of you individually, I could find lots of things that are very unlovely about you. You could talk to my spouse. You find unlovely things about me. hopefully she won't tell them right away, but I mean, there would be, there's plenty, there's plenty of them. So is my wife supposed to love me only if I meet all of her criteria, check off all of her boxes? Am I to love my wife only because she connects everything? That's not love. That's judgmental. This, uh, it's not anything resembling the kingdom of God. And then we wonder why this generation now is not coming to the church. Then we wonder why this generation was rejecting those who are thumping their Bibles and saying this is wrong and this is wrong because they don't experience the kingdom of God. And why would I want to come to a church if the kingdom of God is not there? And why would God even want anybody to come to a church if the kingdom of God is not there? And when the kingdom of God is there, he is the king, I am his subject, and I'm a blessing to those he puts into my path. That's what God has called. That's, that's clearly in the Scriptures. It's all through everything that Jesus has to say. So the barriers that we run into are time. I'm running, speaking of time, I've run out of time right now. Barriers we run into are time. You, most of you know this story, Mary and Martha. Uh, very convicting story. You know, it's, here's what a lot of people don't realize. Mary and Martha are tight with Jesus. Okay, I mean, they have a long history. They were best buds. They were friends. They used to hang out at one another's home long before he ever shows up in the Gospels. So this is like not like a new guy coming in. We want to impress Jesus. No, this is the guy who's been around the block with them. They know. It's like neighbors coming on down the street, although they're celebrity neighbors, okay? They're coming down to your house. But, but Martha is mad at Mary. Why? Because she's not helping Martha out. And so Martha gets upset, and Jesus has to talk to Mary, I mean, talk to Martha. He says, Martha, you're worried, bothered about so many things. You're trying to make everything just right. You think somehow that if it all works out perfectly the way you've plotted it out, if all of your boxes are checked, if everything is done just the right way, then somehow that makes this experience and relationship with me significant. And he says, you got it all wrong. He says, I love you, Martha. 
But Mary's got it right, even though, yeah, maybe she is lazy. Okay, maybe she doesn't. But she's choosing in this situation to pick the right thing, and that's to spend time with me. See, when we prioritize our tasks, when we prioritize whatever our agendas are over people, we've missed the kingdom. That's not how God operates. That's not how Jesus operates. That's when he heals. That's when he comes to be asked to go heal the young man. Uh, there's another woman that intervenes that wants to touch his garment, and Jesus stops and heals her. And in the meantime, the one that he was supposed to be rushing off to dies. Jesus didn't seem all that upset and all that bothered by it. If you and I surrender and submit to the right things before God, he'll take care of those time issues. He'll address them. And, and, and the last thing here is, is the whole concept of fear. You know, oftentimes when we talk about witnessing, this verse will pop up. You've probably seen it, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, and we, we always emphasize the verse 15. So it says, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. We talk about that's the gospel, right? Sharing the gospel. Always be ready to talk to someone about Jesus. Well, I think that's a really good idea. I think that's great. It's great to take, be a part of workshops that will help you know how to talk about Jesus to people that maybe don't understand or don't know. That's awesome. But that's not what this passage is talking about. You know what sets up verse 15 is verse 14. What does it say? It says, have no fear of them nor be troubled. What is he referring? Many scholars believe Peter is referring back to Isaiah chapter 8. And in Isaiah chapter 8, it actually is, in a number of translations, it says this. Isaiah says, do not call conspiracy what they call conspiracy. In other words, don't become fearful of what they are all fearful. In other words, all the fear that is all around you, and of course we're talking in Peter was written in a time of persecution. The church was persecuted. Believe me, it's nothing like, you think we have a difficult Christians today. Oh my gosh, it's, we're in a party playland here to what it was dealing with. There, there were people who were coming in losing their life because they identify with Jesus. And Peter says, don't Call conspiracy what they call conspiracy. Don't get caught up in all of those ills, all of those fears, all of those things that the world's going to end, it's all going to happen. No, what he says, you need to first, as you're surrounded by all these fears that are being labeled out, what does he say? First, be in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord. That means he is king. Make him king in your heart today. And when you make him king, then be ready to share the hope. Why do you not have fear for all those things everybody else is fearful for? That's your hope. My hope is in Jesus. That's why I don't have to be fearful. That's why I don't need to call conspiracy what they call conspiracy. Because whatever you think, however whatever bad is going to happen, I have hope. I have a sense of meaning. I have a sense of significance. God has not left me. And he's going to be there for me. And so there is this sense that you and I have been called into relationship with him to be a blessing to the nations. And when we are, when we do, well, God, believe me, people will be coming, running to be in your presence. What church do you go to? What's your, is your church like that? that? You actually love people that don't think the same as you and that you care for people and you're running to be the blessing. What type of church? Wow, I'd like to be there. That's what the kingdom of God is. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your faithfulness. And the reality is none of us, none of us in our own strength, none of us in our own ability can be what you would want us to be. 
And so we acknowledge, we bow our knee before you, we ask that you would be king. And what's not right, would you begin to help make it right? That you would be glorified in our life, through our life, in our church, through our church, that you would be the king that we all bow down to and submit and surrender to so that we can be a blessing to our community. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Dirk, for reminding us that we are on mission within the kingdom. We submit ourselves to the king. We're, we're going to praise the name of the king in song right now. And as we do, the ushers are going to come around and they're going to have offering buckets with them. The primary reason that we give to God in offering is an expression of our love for him and our faith in his provision. But secondarily, we give in order to be a part of expanding the kingdom and what God wants to do around the world. And so we do that now. You can do that in a number of ways, as you see on the screen. But if you choose to give, you can do so in the buckets that the ushers are carrying around. You can also put your Connect cards in those buckets as well. We'd love to be praying for the things that you've put on those cards. Would you pray with me? Father, we're so grateful for the fact that you've blessed us. And we want to use the things that you've given us in order to be a blessing to others and to spread your name throughout the nations. Lord, we honor you now. We praise you in song because you are good. In Jesus' name, amen.